right, so this morning I want to give you kind of a scenario, if I could. Um, uh, some of y'all may have be really close to your grandfather, but just think about this for a minute. If you were really, really close to your favorite grandfather, and uh, he was very influential in your life, you spent a lot of time, and you did things with him, and man, he was a, a, just a, a great influence on your life. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, your, your grandfather got older, and he passed away, and, and after the service... Very emotional, all that. But after the service, you found out through, you know, a family member says, hey, grandfather left you this big trunk, and he wanted you to have it. I don't know what's in it, but he wanted you to have it. So he, you find this trunk, and you open it up, and in that trunk is this letter, and it says, if you're reading this, I've passed away. But I've left this for you. I've been putting things in this trunk for several years because I wanted you to know more about me after I passed away. So everything in this trunk is for you to remember me about. Now, if that happened to you, would you simply take that trunk or that box and just go throw it in a closet or throw it in the garage somewhere and go, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that later? No, you wouldn't. What would you do? Man, you would open up that trunk and you'd take out every item of that trunk and you would look at it. You would read it. You would go, what is this? Why, why did he leave me this? And there might be things like pictures and you could look through the pictures. Maybe it was some of you and some of your special events. Maybe it was of him and grandma. Maybe it was when he was a young man. You're like, wow, look at grandpa. Look how young he was and, and all that kind of stuff. And maybe there were letters in there, maybe love letters from him and grandma. And you would go through those love letters and you would read them and be like, wow, man, they were really in love, you know. And, and wow, you know. Maybe he was in the army and they got to write and all that kind of stuff. You would read all those. Maybe there were some newspaper clippings of, of events during his life that were very significant in the world that, that really made an impact on, on his life that you would read through those and go, I wonder why that was important to him. Maybe there would be some recipes. Maybe he was a, a great cook or a, a grill master and he would have special things in there that would have his recipes that you could pass on to your family. You're like, oh, this is, this is awesome. Maybe there were some awards in there, some trophies of things that he had won over the years. Maybe some notes from school, his school days, maybe in high school and college. Maybe some seminars or, or even some sermons. And maybe during church, there was a Bible in there that had some notes in it and some highlights, what were favorite passages of his. But all these things, man, you would pour over all those things, wouldn't you? Because they would tell you a little bit more about who your grandfather was and how you were connected to him. You wouldn't just put that box aside. It would be something that was a real treasure to you. And chances are you wouldn't just go through that box one time, that one time, and then go throw it in the garage or in a box or in a storage shed or whatever. You would pull that out from time to time, depending on what was happening in your life. Like maybe a certain season of your life, you'd go back and go, hey, I remember grandfather had something about that. And you'd go and maybe read that. It's like, what did he do when he went through this? And and you would go back to that box and maybe look at those pictures again or read those letters again or, or maybe get that recipe out and try it again. All of those things you would pour over. Now, I say all that to say this, y'all, that a few years ago, an illustration very similar to that really made me think about God's Word in a different light because God has left us a box, a special gift, and it's called His Word. And it's got all kinds of things about Him in it that he wants us to know about him personally, and all kinds of things about how he's worked through his other children in history, and he wants us to know about it. And most importantly, he wants to know how we can have a relationship with him. So he's left us this. 
So when he's given it to us, for us to just kind of throw it aside and never pull it off the shelf, or I know it's in there somewhere, but I'll get to that later. Man, I wonder how God feels about that, that he's left us that gift. But that helped me see our relationship with God is so important to read his word. And it's also for us to understand who he is and also, again, understand how he's worked through people throughout history, and that's very important. Our brothers and sisters throughout history, God has worked through them because of his word that we have to go back to and look at. But unfortunately, sometimes we view God's word as, as a rule book, don't we? A lot of people see it that way. And yeah, there are rules in there. There are guidelines in there. There are commands in there, things we should and shouldn't do, but it's not just a rule book. And yes, people throughout history have used God's word in a bad way to maybe manipulate or control people. And maybe some people have had a negative or even angry reaction to the Bible because of how they've been treated. Or maybe somebody beat them over the head with this that didn't really practice this. But I'm very thankful today to say that this was introduced to me in a great way through the bride of Christ, the church. And I had special people in my life that introduced to me, not only my own family, but people, Sunday school teachers, men and women, young and old, presented this to me in, in a very powerful way, in a very um, reasonable, positive way. And very importantly, not only did they present it to me, I saw in their lives that they didn't just say, this is something you should do, it was something they did in their own lives. And that made it even more. Not that they were perfect and kept it all perfect, but that they says, hey, this thing I'm telling you you should do, I practice this too. And that made a big impact on me. Now, there's another group of folks who maybe don't look at the Bible negatively, maybe don't necessarily look at it positively, but they just kind of are neutral towards the Bible. Yeah, I kind of know what that is. I've heard of it. They know it exists, but it has no real place or meaning in their lives. And that's unfortunate. And believe it or not, there's actually people out there who, when you say Bible, they go, what are you talking about? They don't know what that is. They've never actually read it or even heard of it. And you go, that, how's that possible? But it's reality, isn't it? Because in our culture, the more this loses its impact and the more people don't understand that this is a gift from God himself and we don't pass it on to the next generation, it, loses its, it can lose its significance to certain people. So it's important. So what about you today? How, how do you view this gift that God has given to you? Is it something that is important to you? How do you view the contents? How me and you view God's word is a lot of how we view God himself, isn't it? How we look at that, how we see the importance of that is how we view God. And I continue to hear in our world this objection to the Bible with this argument. It's just a compilation of writings from men. It's not any better than anything else. I'm like, man, that, that's just not a good argument. Because in reality, everything we have about history, everything has been written down by men or women or people at some point to pass it on to the next generation. Is that not true? Or orally, it's been told to you by a man or a woman, a person told it to you and said, you need to know about this story that happened to me. You need to know about what really happened on that special day. And you passed it on. And all the history we have that's been written down in some form, and that's how we get it. So to pick out the Bible and say, but that particular group of history or writings aren't authentic or legitimate is just not a good argument. I want to share a couple of texts today in helping us see the need for God's Word. Uh, the first one is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I think that's going to be on the screen for us. Thank you. 
And Paul was writing to a young pastor named Timothy, who was a young man. And Timothy had been a traveling companion of Paul on missionary journeys, starting help plant churches. He was actually probably, we think, mostly in a place called Ephesus, where that uh, letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he wrote him there. But he was trying to encourage Timothy as a young um, uh, pastor. And he says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And when I thought about that good work thing, I said, wait a minute, that's another letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and and Timothy was the pastor there, and that says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God created in advance for us to do. That's our purpose That's why we're here on this verse to do these good works. And he's telling Timothy, hey, when people understand their identity and why they're here to do those good works, they also know that Scripture is God-breathed and it can help the servant of God to be thoroughly equipped for those good works to do. And so it all connects. And so then I want to read another from the uh, book of Hebrews from the New Testament, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. And listen, we don't really know who the writer of Hebrews is. We can make some guesses, but we're just really not sure. But it's a powerful letter as well. And so it says this in verse 12, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Think about that. The Word of God is is alive. It's active. It's not some bunch of dead stories that, that don't have any application to us anymore. And think about it. It penetrates, dividing the soul and the spirit. Think about that. It gets into our very conscience to who we are, how we think, how we feel. And it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And I don't know about you, but I need God's word to judge my attitudes of my heart. Because sometimes they're not good. And you know what? If you judge me, you're you're probably not going to do it real accurately. The same if I try to judge you. I'm not going to do it accurately. But God can do that because he knows us better than anybody. And so his word is there to help us do that. And again, although we don't know the writer of Hebrews, the text is powerful in telling us what God's Word does. It penetrates, and that's what we need in our lives, and something that will penetrate our hard head, our hard heart sometimes, and let us know what God is wanting to do in our lives. Now, I can do that. I can see that this is God's Word, and I can regard it in, a, in the highest of honor, as we should, or I can say to myself, it's not credible. And that's what a lot of folks in our culture want to do. If we can just get people to believe that God's word is not credible, then guess what? I'm not accountable to it. I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to believe it because it's not credible. So that's where there's a lot of that. And if it's not credible and I don't have to be held accountable to it, then guess what? I'm on my own and I can do whatever I want. I'm the one who makes those. It's how I feel. My feelings, my experiences... That's what I live by, and I'm not accountable to anybody. And that sounds liberating. It sounds freeing. But it is a deception from Satan, I'm convinced, that you don't need God's Word in your life because you can figure it out on your own. And Satan has used that from the beginning of this book. You remember in the Garden of Eden when Eve was tempted. He says, hey, are you, why don't you eat some of that fruit? Oh, well, God said we shouldn't. Did God really say that? She goes, yeah, God really said that. But is that what he really meant? 
He knew that if you ate from that tree, you will know good and evil, and you will be just like him. That's the only reason he gave you that rule. Don't you understand it? He doesn't want you to be like him. You can't trust God. You need to be God. And man, they fell for it, didn't they? And we've been falling for it ever since. And it was true. It was true what Satan was saying. It will open your eyes, but it was opening their eyes to something they weren't ready for that they couldn't handle. Before this, they were walking with God, and they were naked, and they didn't think anything of it. Then all of a sudden, they were hiding and putting on clothes and hiding from God. God goes, what, what, what happened? Why are you hiding from me? Ah, you ate from the tree. You listened to the deception, didn't you? You didn't think you needed to obey those rules. Your eyes have been opened, and guess what it's done for you? Has it freed you? If they felt free, why were they hiding from God? If they felt free, why did they put clothes on? Because they weren't free. They fell for the deception. So I want us to share some things uh, about the Bible today. Some of these will be basic for some of you. Maybe some of you will be some things you haven't heard before. But either way, I hope it encourages you and points you to our need for God's Word in our lives. I, I preached a few weeks ago about we are not just to be admirers of Jesus. We're supposed to be followers of Jesus. And that means I do that in every aspect of my life. And without this, I'm not going to do a good job of that at all. I need God's Word to help me being a follower of Jesus. So I want to just look real basic, some real basics this morning. In the Old Testament, which is the Old Covenant that came first, we have 39 books. And they're, they're, they're kind of laid out there. There's law books, the first part. And the Bible's not written the way we have it in the form we have it. It's not in chronological order. But you can see as you read it what the chron chronological order is. It's just not in the way we've compiled it. But you've got the law books that tells us about the law. You've got the history books that tells us about the history of God working through the nation of Israel. Then you've got poetry books like Job and Psalms and Proverbs. You've got major prophets and you've got minor prophets. Now, major prophets doesn't mean they're more important. It just means they're longer. There are longer prophecies in those than the minor. doesn't mean they're any more, less or uh, more important, but they're prophets. So that's kind of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament weaves the, the history of Israel and all these prophecies and all these things to say, we need a Savior, and that Savior is coming. Because we have made a mess from Genesis to Malachi. We have made a mess of the world, and we need a Savior. And there's these prophecies from the major and minor prophets saying, uh, a Savior's coming. You need to be ready for that Savior. So 39, but let's go to the New Testament real quick. 27, and this is how, how many? 39 and 27 is? 66, thank you very much. All right, so this is how I remember it. 39, 3 times 9 equals 27. That helps me. I need things to help me because I'm an idiot. I wasn't good at math. That's why I'm a preacher, okay? So three, 39, 3 times 9 equals 27. That makes all 66 books. So in the New Testament we have, which is the New Covenant. Remember, there was an Old Covenant with the nation of Israel. The New Testament is a New Covenant in Christ, not only for the Jewish people, but for all people. And so we have the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those are the accounts of the life of Jesus from four different perspectives. Then we have a history book, Acts, which after Jesus left and said, go into all the world and make disciples, that's when the church started, the bride of Christ started in Acts. We read about that. Then Paul, who was an apostle, wrote specific letters to those different churches there. Then Paul wrote some to individuals. We just read some of the one from Timothy. And then there were other letters written to the Hebrews, to James. Peter wrote a couple of letters. Uh, John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Jude wrote a letter. And then Revelation was written by the Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel uh, and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. And all of that's important. So some of that may go, oh, yeah, I know that. Why are you showing me that? Well, 
And some of y'all don't know that, but all of those are important. Um, we have a, a men's Bible study that has been studying Revelation right now, and I'm always kind of laughing at them and say, so what would y'all learn today? You know, because it's difficult. It's a lot of stuff in there, but all of those are God's Word, and they're all important. Not just the ones we like, not just the feel-good stories, but all of that. And I want to give you just a, a couple of reasons, too, that we should understand that the Bible is legitimate, it is credible, it is authentic. There's fulfilled prophecy. Throughout the Bible, we see this, but most powerfully, we see this in Jesus himself. Jesus was the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies about a Savior is coming. The world needs a Savior. Jewish nation needs a Savior, but little did they know that this Savior would not just be for them, but for the whole world. But there's a Savior that's coming. Everybody go, yeah, we need a Savior. We have one bad king after another, almost like one bad president after another, you know? And we need somebody bigger than humans because we mess up. We need a Savior. And so they were looking forward to this. And Jesus came to fulfill those prophecies. And there are literally just dozens and dozens of prophecy in the Old Testament talking about how this Jesus, this Savior would come. And Jesus fulfilled all of those. That wasn't an accident, y'all. Just one guy just happened to fulfill all those things. It was specifically made that way. It was part of God's plan from the beginning. A mathematician came up with the chances of one man just fulfilling eight of those prophecies. There were way more than eight in the Old Testament, but he came up with this, uh, uh, this uh, kind of a, you know, this is how it would be. The chances would be if we did it through mathematicians. He said, so if you took one in ten to the 17th power, that's 17 zeros after the 10. That's what a big number it is. That's how many, the chances of someone, one person fulfilling just eight of those prophecies. Now you go, I'm trying to figure that out. All right, let's do it this way. If you took, he said, if you took a silver dollar, okay, silver dollars, one to this was 10, 10 with 17 zeros after it, okay? If you put that many silver dollars in the state of Texas, it would fill up the state of Texas two feet deep. Now let's say as you did that, you took one of those silver dollars and you put a big black, took a Sharpie and put a big black X on it and you threw it in that pile in Texas, and you mixed it all up, then you blindfolded one of you and said, start marching around Texas and find that one X. And that the first time, you would pick up the one with the X on it. What are the chances of that? That's what he said it would be like. For Jesus to fulfill eight of those just by random chance. It wasn't random chance. God's plan was always for Jesus to come as the Savior. It wasn't the Savior, even though all those prophecies are fulfilled. They missed it, didn't they? And we miss it sometimes. But that's what it was about, Jesus coming and fulfilling those. And there's unity in the Bible. The Bible was written before 1400 B.C. and A.D. 90 is roughly the, when this was written. Think about all those years. Forty different people wrote the Bible, but yet it was all has a common theme, a need for a Savior. For humanity. And the Old Testament tells us that the Savior is needed and the Savior is coming. And the New Testament says the Savior is here and the Savior has accomplished what God called him to do to die on the cross for all of humanity's sins and to rise again and defeat death. And he will come again and he is coming again. That's what the New Testament tells the New Covenant tells us. And that message has been passed on ever since. There's a, a pastor I like that I've found. Uh, through Right Now Media, which we have here. And his name is uh, Landon McDonald. And he says kind of the, the, the story of the Bible is like this. He says, God created, man fell, Jesus promised, Jesus fulfilled, Jesus followed, Jesus returning, and the Bible is God's word. I'm going to say that again. I think this is great. God created, 
Man fell, Jesus promised, Jesus fulfilled, Jesus followed, Jesus returning, and the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. So that's, that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. And authenticity through archaeological discoveries have also shown us that, guess what? The Bible is authentic. It is true. You can believe it. The more discoveries they do or made, we see that, they, guess what? There were clear connections between these people in this word and actual things that happened in history. What do you know? There was. They make an archaeological discovery. There was this temple that David was a part of, that Solomon was a part of. And they uncover this stuff and they go, what do you know, David was the king in that time. What do you know, in Corinth, they start uncovering this stuff and they go, there was a guy named Paul here who caused a riot or whatever, you know. And they say, wow, there is a connection between the Bible and these things. Probably the biggest one in the 20th century, and some of y'all may have heard this, it was called the uh, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So there was a, a, a young shepherd, herdsman, and he threw a rock in a cave, and as he threw the rock in the cave, he heard these shattering of like clay jars breaking. And he was curious, and what was that? So he climbed up into this cave, and he found all these jars of these scrolls that were inside that were preserved by somebody. He didn't really know what they were, but he got them to some people and go, what are those? And they started pulling them out, and they found out these were copies of the Old Testament, including a part of every Old Testament book, and one in particular was Isaiah, and it was the complete book of Isaiah. Now, before this time, um, there and these were within 100 years of their writing. They dated them from 100 years of their writing. The ones they had before this were dated 900 years before. And so what do you think they wanted to do when they found these copies? Let's compare the ones from 100 years from that to the ones we just found, and let's see what the, the results are. You know what they found out? They were 95% exactly like the ones that were written from 100 years all the way to 1,000. And that's amazing if you think about that. That means people have been, scribes were copying these over and over again for 1,000 years. And the ones we found 1,000 years from the years, uh, from the, the, the newest to the oldest, they're the same. Now this chart right here shows that we believe so many things because we read it in history books. And we don't make a big deal. Yeah, I guess George Washington really was real. I guess... Plato and Aristotle and Homer, who we all had to study about. I guess all that stuff is real. I had to study it, memorize it for the test, whatever. But look at this. This tells us we don't really say Plato wasn't real, Aristotle wasn't real, Homer wasn't real. We don't question that. Most of the time the world doesn't. But in these charts, you can see Plato was written at that time. The earliest copy they have is from A.D. 900. The time span is 1,200 years from when it was written till the earliest copy. And there's only seven copies of that. And then you can go to Aristotle and you can see the same thing. When it was written, the earliest copy, 1,400 year time span. Look down there at the New Testament. A.D. 400, A.D. 125, time span, 25 years. And there's 24,000 copies. Original, that it got written in that time span. Do you all know what that means? It is way more authentic than Aristotle and Plato and Homer. When you really do the research and look for the truth, you'll find it. And it will set you free. So the Bible does have authenticity. It is real. And y'all, if y'all don't believe me, do your own study on it. I encourage you to do that. Find out about these things. But since 1947 and that great discovery of the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, more things have happened to prove that, you know what? The Bible is authentic. This stuff is true. And some people say, well, there's contradictions in the Bible. And there are seeming contradictions in the Bible. Let me give you just a couple. Now, if somebody says, there's a bunch of contradictions in the Bible, this is what you say to them, give me five. And I bet you they can't give you one. 
They just want to say that. They don't want to believe it because they don't want to follow it. But let me give you one. For an example, in 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings, which were books of the Old Testament that tell us about the history of Israel, they tell it in different ways from a little bit different perspective. When you read it, and if any of y'all have read that, you go, hey, that's the same story that I read about in the other one, but it's a little bit different. But in 2 Chronicles 9.25, it says King Solomon had 4,000 horse stalls. Then you go over to 1 Kings, and it says that Solomon had 40,000 horse stalls. Well, let's just throw the Bible out. Can't be accurate in that. Well, somewhere there's a mistake. Which is correct? Well, probably 4,000 stalls, because we read elsewhere that Solomon had 12,000 horsemen. Well, if you had 40,000 stalls, well, you need a lot more horsemen than that. So we probably So probably when someone was copying that, they added a couple of zeros accidentally. Or in the middle of writing, somebody's wife yelled at them, what? And he twitched and, and wrote a couple of extra zeros. And it got covered. I don't know that. But we can understand. But does that change the whole perspective or theme of the Bible? Not necessarily. And here's one from the New Testament. When we read the account of the resurrection on, that we read about on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, we know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have that um, account, and we can read about it. In Matthew's gospel, he says, an angel was there to meet Mary and talk to her. But you go to John's gospel, and John says, two angels were there when Mary was there. Now, does that mean that that's not true? That's not what happened? No, it just means from a different perspective that just because Matthew didn't say there was two, he just mentioned the one that was there and spoke to Mary. doesn't mean there wasn't another one there, and that John just happened to mention. Like, for instance, a few weeks ago, my daughter was in an in a, in a automobile wreck. And as I'm going to that scene, there were lots of police cars and ambulances and fire trucks there. I couldn't tell you the number because at that time, guess what? I didn't care how many. That wasn't my job. Like, well, hold on a second. Let me, let me count these before I see if she's okay. Well, of course not. I want to make sure, first of all, my daughter was okay and everybody else in that accident was okay. And I, got, and I noticed there were a lot, but I couldn't tell you the exact amount. But there were fire trucks, police cars, and ambulances there. And other people might have known the exact number, but if we told those stories, it doesn't mean that didn't happen. It just means that some of the details might be a little different from how you uh, looked at it. So there are no true contradictions in Scripture because Scripture is a reflection of God. And God cannot contradict and will not contradict Himself. The Bible was not be, meant to be interpreted as a collection of fables or myths. These are stories that were real people. The Bible contains history and is factually accurate as well as it teaches us. It's practical. It teaches us about everyday life. It is important to read Scripture in its context in order to rightly interpret it. We don't pull things out to proof text or to try to say something that God never intended. God inspired men to write down exactly what he wanted without violating their personal personalities as they wrote. And if God wrote a book, we would expect it to be internally consistent, externally verifiable, ethically lofty. We would expect it to be profoundly wise, life-transforming, and supremely influential. And the Bible is all these things, y'all. Jesus affirmed those 39 books of the Old Covenant. He affirmed them. He quoted those over and over again in the Gospels. And then Jesus authorized those 27 books of the New, those letters of the New Covenant, as he authorized them to go out and write those things. An apostle was personally authorized by Jesus as an eyewitness to the resurrection and able to perform miraculous signs. So all of those books in the New Covenant were written by, a lot of them by apostles, so we know. So let me just take one of those apostles, Peter. 
And Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, very close to Jesus, and he wrote First and Second Peter, these letters. He didn't write a gospel, although we think Mark interviewed him exclusively to write the book of Mark. But let's look at Second Peter chapter 1 and listen to what Peter says. He's nearing the end of his life. He has been told by Jesus he's probably going to be martyred, and he knows this is coming. And listen to what he writes. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and power, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from Him, from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I am well pleased. Um, we ourselves heard this voice and came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. This is in the Gospels, the transfiguration. He's referring back to that. We saw this ourselves, he says. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to the light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter's saying, man, I'm telling you this stuff. I was an eyewitness, but the Holy Spirit is telling me to write this down. And 2,000 years later, y'all, we're still reading it because it's pertinent to us. It has application in our lives. And also, and I could go on and on, early church writings have confirmed the accuracy of, of Scripture. And I can go on and on, but guess what? I can't prove it to any of y'all. There's no way I can prove it. I can give you books, I can give you uh, all kind of things to read and look at, but some people are still not going to be convinced because I can't prove it. So I go back to this grandfather's box, if you will. And if he was important to you, if he is important to you, this will be important to you. And you will read it. And you need to read it daily. You need to read it daily. If you're not doing this, y'all, you cannot grow in your relationship with Jesus if you're not reading this Bible daily. Now, listen, be careful about what I just said. I did not say you're not a Christian if you're not reading it daily. I did not say you're not a believer if you don't read it daily. I did not say you were going to hell if you don't read it daily. I didn't say any of that. And it's on camera so they can verify it, okay? But I'm saying you will not grow in your relationship with Christ if you don't read it Every day. You need that. I need that. It's my old, I know, like, oh, you just put duct tape on that last night, didn't you? Know? <laughs> it tore up a long time ago, but you know how you get familiar with it, you know? And I, this is my daily driver, and I try to read a Old Testament and a New Testament scripture every day. And I've read through the Bible several times, and I just keep going over and over. And what I find out, y'all, is this, is the more I read through it, every, something new comes out every year. Because depending on what I'm going through, what's going on in the world, it has a different meaning as I read it over and over again. That's not right or wrong. That doesn't mean you got to do that. I'm just saying pick some kind of plan. Now, how many of y'all have, have the, uh, the, the, um, the Bible on your phone? Does anybody got that? If you don't have it, I'm giving you permission right now to take out your phone and get it. It's called version, And nobody's going to judge you if they do, then they're just well wrong right now, okay? So... Get that on there. It's called the U version. It has the Bible on it. And you can read it anytime. You want. There's nothing wrong. God's not mad at you if you're reading it on your phone, not reading it like this. 
Because if you really want to be close, you need to read it in the original Greek, and that'll blow your mind. So anyway, or, or Hebrew. But anyway, have that. And we are so blessed in this culture and this time to have access to God's Word in so many different forms, aren't we? And we need to use it. And we need to read it. God has given us an amazing gift. And again, He wants us to know Him better through reading this. He wants us to know how other people knew Him and how that changed their life and transformed their lives. He wants us to have it. We're saved through grace, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we know all this, y'all, because of this, this gift. So we need to go through Grandfather's box. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, the psalmist wrote. And that's exactly what this is. So I encourage you to read daily. Maybe start simple. I don't know if it's good to start in Genesis. I'm not saying don't start in Genesis. But you get through Genesis... Exodus and then Leviticus, and you'll be like, oh, you know? You get to Judges, and you're going, oh, my gosh, are you serious? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, read it. But I would say start maybe in Mark. It's the shortest of the four Gospels, and learn about Jesus. And maybe read James. It's the shortest, one of the shortest letters in the New Testament. Man, it's so practical about our tongue and what we say and how we say it gets us in trouble and how we shouldn't, uh, you know, Treat people differently depending on how much money they have or whatever. It's, it's just a very practical book. So start simply. But we used to have a preacher, our preacher Jim Dyer, who was here for 30, uh, 38 years, I believe. He was an amazing guy. And what he used to do is he would read five psalms a day and one proverb. And every month he would get through psalms and proverbs. Think about that. And you're like, hey, okay, that's too much right now. I can't do that. Well, I'm not saying you need to start there, but that's a great way to read through the Bible. So pick, and there's all, and on that you on that um, you version. Uh, app, there's all kinds of plans. So I encourage y'all to do that. But again, you can't grow if you're not getting into your father's box. We need to do that. So this morning, we offer an invitation this morning. An invitation that maybe somebody says, you know what, I know God's given me his word, and I need to start following him, and I want to do that. So we're going to give you that opportunity this morning. And you know what, maybe you're looking for a church to join. You know what, we are always, always going to go back to this and preach and teach this because this is what we really need, isn't it? It's a gift from our Father, and we're going to do that.